0: Good to see you all this morning. Thank you. Happy Easter. It's fantastic to see the room filled and friends, family, visitors alike. If you are visiting with us, and I haven't had a chance to introduce myself, my name is Jason Williams. I have the honor and privilege of pastoring here at the church, leading with a group of elders. Larry is among the six men who lead this church, and just truly blessed that you would trust us with your time. We're going to be looking at the resurrection today. It is Easter Sunday. This monumental moment in human history that impacts all other moments at the resurrection of Jesus. It is what sets apart Christianity from any other religion and, uh, and truly the mark of what it means to live and walk by faith. Uh, because this never has happened before or since where someone has died and in their own power resurrected from the grave. And so this is the pinnacle of our faith as Christ followers. And so we're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning starting out in chapter 20. If you want to turn there uh, in your own Bible, if you don't have one and you'd like to follow along, we put black cardback Bibles around, under the seats around you, so feel free to grab one of those and you can turn to the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then chapter 20 is where we will get started this morning. So uh, just a little side note as we read about the resurrection of Jesus from the perspective of the Apostle John, um, keep in mind, he's writing himself into the story because he was there, and so he's going to refer to himself as the other disciple uh, at the resurrection. So, what we're going to read is the beginning of the morning Christmas, or excuse me, Easter morning. We're a long ways from Christmas, uh, and uh, so this is the beginning of the Easter morning, the first acknowledgement of the resurrection of. Jesus And so here's what's happened in the last 72 hours before this moment. On Thursday evening, Jesus draws away to the upper room with his disciples. This is where he washes their feet, and then he serves them the Lord's Supper or communion. And they then, after communion, sing a song, and then they go out to the garden to pray where a few fall asleep. Jesus continues to pray in agony. God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The scriptures describe his agony such that he was sweating blood as he prayed there the night before he was arrested. Shortly after he ends his prayer, Judas, the betrayer, shows up with armed guards to seize Jesus and take him captive. This is where Peter infamously draws his sword and cuts off a guard's ear before Jesus settles down the scene and and willingly allows himself to be arrested. During the night, he first goes to Uh, more of a good old boy trial system in the middle of the night. He didn't wait for the courts to open up. Then he goes to a second trial where he's ultimately convicted and sentenced to death. Uh, Pilate turns him over first to be flogged, to be beaten, to be ridiculed, to be spat upon, to be humiliated, to be made fun of, before he bears the weight of his own cross up the hill to Golgotha where he is nailed on the cross, where he not only suffers, but dies for our sins on Friday. And then Saturday, silence. And it's Sunday morning when the ladies, Mary Magdalene and the others, make their way to the tomb. And this is where we'll pick up the story in John chapter 20, verse 1, the account of the resurrection. Now, on the first day of the week, Sunday... Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb so she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple who is John the one whom Jesus loved and said to them they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him so she goes to the tomb sees the stone rolled away. The body of Jesus is missing. She's not expecting a resurrection. Right? She assumes the body has been stolen. Maybe they weren't brutal enough last Friday and they want to mock him some more or they want to beat him some more. And so she's a little bit unnerved as she runs to the apostles and says he's missing. His body is missing. Verse 3, So Peter went out with the other disciple And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So evidently John was a little faster than Peter. But he didn't go in. And stooping to look in, he saw linen cloths lying there. But he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came up, probably out of breath because he's a little slower evidently. He comes running up and following him, and then he goes into the tomb. He went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, John's not bragging. He's just letting you know the facts. I got there first. And the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, he also went in, and he saw, and He believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now, we have a firsthand account of what happened. The first ones to notice that Jesus' body was not there anymore, Mary Magdalene and the other women with her. The disciples, John and Peter, run. John's a little faster, gets there first, but he doesn't go in. He stops. Peter comes running behind and right into the tomb. And they witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, and they believe, but they don't fully understand. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? So at that moment, they, they realized that what Jesus had said, because he's already said it three times at least, I will be handed over, I will be beaten, I will be crucified, but I will rise on the third day. And so at that moment, Peter and John believed, but they don't fully understand. And we're going to be talking about the difference between believing and understanding the rest of this morning. See, I think like, uh, like children oftentimes believe without understanding fully, Peter and John believed. Uh, this past week, we're teaching um, our kiddos to acknowledge the different days of the Passion Week. And, uh, on, and so Thursday is the night that um, they had communion, washed the disciples' feet. He's, Jesus is arrested late that night, early into the morning on Friday. Friday is when he is killed and crucified, and then Sunday he rises from the dead. And so, um, so for Calvin, our youngest, who's almost four, this is the first year he's been kind of acknowledging the connection. So Easter means Jesus rises from the dead. And so it was this past Thursday morning at his school. We were getting him ready to go, and he was gathering up his things, and he realized he was having an Easter party at his school. And, uh, and so Hallie and Calvin are, are talking about this, and he, then, he, then it clicked for him. Jesus Jesus is out of the tomb? Jesus rose from the dead already? We get to have our Easter party? And so then Hallie was left to try to explain, well, yes, he has already risen from the grave, but in the week, no, not yet, because that's Sunday, and so never mind. So much like Peter and John, right, our children believe but don't fully understand. Now, it's interesting what he says in verse 9. Read it again. For as yet they did not understand. But did you see the reason why? The scripture. So what John is writing here is at that moment, as he thought back to that moment, Peter and I believed. We understood that Jesus said he was going to die and rise again. But what we didn't understand was the full impact that resurrection would have on human history. We didn't fully understand that in that moment, that decisive moment in human history, the resurrection wasn't just about that moment. It's as if the resurrection turned backwards down the timeline of human history and impacted every moment that had already happened, as well as turning forward down the human timeline right at every moment that would happen into the future and impacted those moments as well. What John was saying is we, we understood he wasn't there. We understood that he had risen from the dead, but what we didn't understand was the fullness of what the resurrection meant for us. In order to understand the resurrection, we must understand it within the context of the whole story of the Bible. See, I think even today in the church, there are plenty of people who believe in the resurrection without fully understanding what it means for our everyday lives. For many of us, it's a significant moment in human history, a significant moment in the story of Jesus coming to earth, dying and rising again. But the difference in believing and fully understanding is that many of us today are not walking by faith in the power of the resurrection, what the resurrection means for you and I, in this moment, in this day, In this suffering, in 1 Corinthians 15, a chapter that the Apostle Paul writes specifically about the resurrection and the power and the impact of the resurrection in the story of God, this is where we're going to go next. He begins, we'll start in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul begins with a really significant statement. He's about to say, what what I'm about to say is the most important thing I've ever said right so we're gonna our ears are gonna perk up our radars on we want to hear what does apostle paul seem to think is the most important thing that he's ever said he says for i delivered to you as of first importance i've written a lot of things paul gave a lot of instruction to the church in corinth what to do what not to do how to pursue christ how to grow He says, but the most important thing I delivered to you, the first most important thing is this, that Christ died for our sins, but not just that, in accordance with the scriptures. So for us then, when we acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't that he got caught. It wasn't that he got backed into a corner he didn't know how to get out of, right? It wasn't that mean men simply came and seized Jesus and he had no other option." Matter of fact, do you remember the words of Jesus before Pilate? Nobody takes my life from me. My life is about to be laid down, but nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord, and I'll take it back up. And so Jesus' death wasn't simply an expression of martyrdom or a sacrifice on behalf of the people. His death was in accordance with the Scriptures. It's part of the whole story that God is writing. And so in the same way, look at what Paul says. He, he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Both John and Paul are saying the same thing. The resurrection is a bigger story. That small moment in time when Jesus rose from the dead is about a much bigger story being written in accordance with the Scriptures. and Then he goes on to say, he accounts the resurrection appearances, verse 5, that he appeared to Cephas, which is the Aramaic name for Peter. So he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, brother of Jesus, then to, the all, then to all the apostles, last of all, Paul puts himself at the end of the list, to one untimely born. As to one untimely born, he also appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. Now, the major shift from Paul persecuting the church to building the church was what? The resurrection appearance that, that we come across in Acts 9, where the risen Savior appears to Paul. The beginning of Acts 9, of Acts nine. What is happening? Paul is seeking permission to kill Christians. He's knocking on doors with written permission and dragging men and women out into the streets to the edge of town and killing them with rocks. Then by the end of Acts 9, in humility, right, he's building the church. He's proclaiming the gospel. What's the difference? Paul says, as one who was untimely born, Jesus also appeared to me. And that was the, that was the, that was the monumental shifting point in Paul's life. I saw him with my own eyes. Now the Apostle Paul, as he continues to write about the resurrection in chapter, first, uh, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, we're going go to go to verse 53, where we really hone in on this impact that the resurrection has had, both on human history and on our lives here today in this moment. These words are most often read at funerals, So if you've been to a Christian funeral, you've probably heard these words. We just sang several of these lines in the songs this morning. So Paul begins in verse 53 by talking about perishable and imperishable. Perishable meaning something that can die or waste away or be ruined. Imperishable means that it can't be ruined. It can last forever. He also talks about what is mortal versus what is immortal. Right? What is mortal can experience death. What is immortal can't experience death. So Jesus, being ultimately immortal, when he comes to earth and he's born as a baby, he puts on mortality, right, so that he can die. But in the resurrection, he puts back on immortality in his resurrected body. And so now Paul's going to talk about that resurrection in a way that we understand how it affects our lives. Look at what he says. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. When not only that, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Now, what a profound statement Paul is making. It's been a long time in human history since man or woman walked in immortality. Matter of fact, there at this point in time have only been two people who've ever walked in immortality, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created in immortality. In bodies that weren't intended to experience death. Now, if you think about how the story unfolds in Genesis 1, man and woman are created. In Genesis 2, God comes to Adam and says, Adam, turn around and look at what I've created. It's pretty good, isn't it? A lot of things that are appealing to the eyes, a lot of things that are going to taste good, that are going to feel good, things that remind you of me and how good I am, things that are going to cause you to worship... Walk in this garden, manage it well, and you'll reflect my glory to the world around you. But not only that, it's not good for you to be alone. So guess what? I'm going to bring to you. I'm going to create out of you and bring to you this woman to complete my creation. But he gives Adam a law. What was the law? Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For as surely as you do, what will happen? You'll die. Though you were created in immortality, at that moment you will put on mortality. You will go from being imperishable creation intended to live in fellowship with God and with each other forever to becoming now perishable. Now for us, we bridge the gap between sin and death. We go sin equals death, but they didn't automatically die. So there must be some things taking place in between sin and and true physical death. Let's recount for just a moment before we go any further. Genesis um, 1 and 3. I know it's further down in your notes, um, Genesis 3, but I'm just going to talk through it with us this morning. So here's what happened in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve are doing what God sent them out to do. They're walking in the garden in fellowship with one another and fellowship with God. They're living out their purpose, they're living out their identity, and they're living out their mission, right? Be fruitful and multiply. Go, go rule the, the earth and have dominion over it and steward it well, and they're doing that. And then as Genesis 3 opens up, a serpent who was more crafty than any beast in the field comes to Eve and to Adam, speaking directly to Eve, and already we're beginning to have a breakdown in created order, right? At first we think Adam is absent and Eve has snuck away and she's being mischievous and she's doing all this without his acknowledgement, but then as we read the story we realize he was right there with her. He had just abandoned his post of leadership. He was no longer protecting her and leading her. He was right there with her as both were tempted. And you remember the temptation from the serpent to Eve? won't die God just doesn't want you to be like him he just he just knows that if you eat from this you'll have his knowledge you'll you'll know all these things and she saw that it was desirable and the serpent talked her into believing that she would not become mortal if she ate and guess what Adam was right there with her and at the moment they ate what God said came true they experienced death yet they didn't physically die So we have to ask the question, what else did God mean in addition to physical death? And we see it right away. What was the first thing that they did? They hid from each other. They grabbed fig leaves and they sewed them together, right, and covered themselves up, hiding things that were intended for glory and worship, right? The most intimate parts of their body now are hiding those intimate things from each other. And immediately there's a death in their relationship. But not only that, they hide from God. God comes in. Adam, where are you? He Sees the fig leaves. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from that tree? And Adam, like a good, faithful, God-fearing husband, did what? Sold her out, right? The woman you gave me, she did this to me. It's her fault. And so not only do we have a death in the relationship between Adam and Eve, We have this death and relationship between God and man. Now Adam and Eve feel like they need to hide from God. They can't walk in fellowship with God. And things begin to spiral out of control. Sin and suffering and sin and suffering. And God goes on to explain the curse of the fall. The pain of childbearing. The the reason why we sweat and bleed when we work. The reason why we call it work and why it's hard. All of the things we experience in life spiraling out of control. Sin and suffering, sin and suffering. This spiral of death. Death of relationship, the death of identity, right? The death of purpose and mission. Ultimately ending in what? Physical death. And from that moment forward in human history, each one of us is born under that spiraling shadow of sin and death. You have faced death, though you're alive, in more ways than I can even imagine or describe. Some of you have literally faced death eye to eye with terminal illness or an accident or an incident. And you know what it means to be close to death. You've seen it. It grabbed your attention. It woke you up. Others of us, more indirectly, Maybe somebody we love, somebody we know, or you've been with someone who has passed from this life to the next, and you've seen, you've witnessed how permanent and how instant and how cruel death can be. But everybody in this room has experienced death on some level. Death in relationship. Every bitter argument between you and somebody that you love indicates death. Every mistake that you've made that like Adam and Eve has led to to shame and to hiding is a moment of tasting death Rick will you go ahead and jump to the um, illustration if you're taking notes you may want to jot this down it's the power of sin God warned didn't he Adam and Eve don't mess with this it's powerful and it will end in death So Adam and Eve sinned, and their sin led to to a guilty verdict. Immediately they were guilty, and they knew it, right? Immediately they were guilty. They had disobeyed God. They had violated his law. Now, guilt can show up really in two ways. Most obviously is when we're directly guilty. I did it, and I'm guilty. I said it, and I'm guilty, right? But you know what? Sin works indirectly as well. You know, you can assume guilt, that's not even yours to own, and it does the same exact thing. Moms, you know this well with your children, when you assume guilt for their actions, whether they're embarrassing you at a grocery store or when they're teenagers, they do something that makes the headline of the newspaper, on into adulthood. Moms are notorious for assuming guilt. That's not theirs. Many who are victims of abuse, sexual, physical, verbal, even abandonment, and neglect will assume indirect guilt. Now, there was sin and there was guilt, right? But not that person's to own. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter. When we sense guilt, here's what we always do. We always turn to shame. It's what Adam and Eve did. It's what drove them into hiding. It's what caused them to want to live in the shadows to not be found out. Now, regardless of what level of guilt you're responsible for in your life, you all, we all know all too well what it feels like to walk in the shadows and to walk in hiding. We're fairly good at creating a facade, a veneer. We want people to see and to think that we're better than we are. We have it together. So we create this false image that we want people to see, but in the background, we're hiding in the shadows. And what is our greatest fear? Just like Adam and Eve. If you know who I really am, you won't love me what it boils down to you won't like me you won't love me you won't want to be around me if you know who I really am you'll run from me we see it in Adam and Eve in that moment that they were guilty they hid from each other if you know who I really am if you see the real me you won't like me or love me anymore and we do the same thing to God right as ridiculous as it is to see Adam hiding from God we do the same thing we run into the shadows. Shame drives us to not want to be exposed. We're embarrassed, we feel inadequate, we feel unworthy, and we buy into the lie. If God can see me as I am, he won't really love me. And so shame drives us into darkness, ultimately into death. And every person in this room knows what shame tastes like. Whether we're directly or indirectly guilty, Anytime our lives come in contact with sin or suffering, we come in contact with shame and darkness, don't we? And we want to hide. And so as John and Paul are both saying, the resurrection of Jesus was bigger than that moment. It was more than just Jesus coming back to life. It was a a moment in time that impacted every other moment in time. What he's saying to us ultimately is that what was done in death has now been undone through the resurrection. Death was undone in the resurrection. Shame is undone in what? Freedom. You see, through the gospel, here's what God does to you and I. He invites us out of the darkness. He says, listen, you have no need to hide from me. You have no need to hide from each other. Come out of the darkness. Come out into the light and see that I love you as you are. I see you. I see your brokenness, I see your sin, I see your guilt, and I love you still. Come out of the darkness. And the gospel invites us out of the darkness into freedom. And as we believe on Christ, believe in faith, here's what happens. All of our guilt is transferred from us to him. Was he guilty? No. Was he treated guilty? Yes. Why? Because I'm guilty. I am. We were uh, laughing last night with a group of friends about how um, different things would have been when we were in high school if we had phones with um, cameras on them. Woo! There's a lot about my past I don't want to see again. Right? Why? Because, I, because I'm guilty. Because I'm guilty. I can't imagine how worse things would have been if men, if we'd had a camera stirring the motivation, right? I'm going to get this one on YouTube. A million hits, watch this, you know, and it's a wonder we all lived. That's what I sounded like back then, by the way. <laughs> and here's the truth, whether it got caught on camera or not, we're guilty. We are. And guilt always leads to shame, shame leads to hiding, and the spiral of death begins. And we begin to buy into more lies. You don't love me, you don't like me, you don't want to be near me. If you knew the real me, you would run from me. And so what's happening in the resurrection is that all of that's being undone. Not just Jesus' death, our death is being undone. Look at what Paul says as we continue in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. So he says, he already said that the perishable must put on the imperishable, the mortal body must put on immortality. What does he mean by that? He's talking about everything being undone that was done by sin and death. That's the only way that can happen. The only way I can put on mortality is for sin and death to be undone. Then look at what he says in verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, by faith, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now we read that and we think primarily about Jesus' resurrection, right? He undid death. He swallowed up death in victory. But look at what he says next. The sting of death is sin. Now he's talking about us. It's our sin that leads to the sting of death. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So somehow the victory he had over resurrection can become our victory over death by faith. By faith, Jesus' victory over death has become our victory. By faith, Jesus' victory over death has become our victory. And guess what? Everything we talked about is included in that. You see, the resurrection isn't just an event from the past to behold and believe happened. By faith, we're to walk in the power of the resurrection every moment of every day of our lives. Every moment of every day in our lives. The resurrection isn't just something to be celebrated on Easter Sunday morning, the resurrection is to be celebrated on Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday night. It's the power of the resurrection that sets us free from shame and guilt. And renders us innocent, perfectly righteous before God. Through the resurrection, Jesus swallows up death in triumphant victory, defeating shame, removing guilt, and restoring all that was killed by sin identity, relationship, and mission. Your identity. In shame, we feel like abandoned orphans in the street, right? We feel like like dogs that have been kicked outside and left to wander the streets of life. We feel like nobody loves us. Nobody wants us. We have to pretend to have friends. But through the resurrection, our identity is restored, and God says to us, come out of the darkness. You're my son. You're my daughter. That's who you are. That's who I created you to be. That's who you are. Come out of the darkness. Come out of the shadows. Your purpose in life, your purpose in life is so much bigger than what you do for a living. I know we live in a world that says otherwise. We live in a world that pats you on the back and says that your worth is found in what you do and how far you climb up the ladder. The gospel says that's not true. Your worth is found in what God says about you. So many of you are doing really well in your careers, but your career is dependent upon your ability, mentally or physically, and in a moment of suffering, if that's gone, what then is when we need the power of the resurrection to say to us and remind us, that's not what your worth is, right? Don't hang your hat on such a low rung in life. Your purpose, your identity is found in what God says about you. That's what it means to walk in the power of the resurrection. Work hard at your jobs. Just don't find your identity in those things because in a moment, things can shift and change. right? All we need is the bottom to fall out of the real estate market or the stock market or for you to experience a physical illness or, right? or your boss to change his mind or, right? or your, the company to sell. And in a moment, everything changes. And if your identity is wrapped up in that, all of a sudden, we feel abandoned. right? I don't know who I am anymore. And God invites us through the resurrection out of the shadows. Well, guess what? Your relationships need to walk in the power of the resurrection as well. Listen, husbands and wives, quit pretending. I know you didn't get along perfectly this week. I know it. There was tension at some point. Right? Right? Whether it was out loud tension or subtle tension, there was tension. Uh, There's tension between a lot of our other relationships with close friends and family members. What is that tension? It's, It's revealing to us the power of death reminding us that death still wants to have a victory over our lives, but when we walk in the power of the resurrection, right? We walk in faith believing what? Death doesn't have the final word in our arguments. Jesus didn't just die for our sins. He resurrected to give us power over death and death's effects. Let me just give you some examples we're going to go to 1st Peter chapter 1 verse 3 to end today so go ahead and turn there if you'd like 1st Peter it's toward the end of the New Testament 1st Peter chapter 1 we'll just look at one verse together let's think about how how death plays out in our lives in just some very real ways we've already mentioned obviously physical death terminal illness how about this how about moments of despair what does despair mean? It means to be without hope. If you ever find yourself in a, in a place that, right, that's full of despair, you're living void of hope and you're experiencing death on some level. Some of you experience death in the way that you see yourself. And every time you step in front of a mirror, you feel. You don't like the way you look. You don't like the way... Things are proportioned. You don't like the color of your hair or your skin or the size of things. And so in that moment, you want to try to hide it. You want to change it. You're experiencing death. It's not the way God intended for us to live, right? What did Adam and do first? They tried to change their outer appearances. this so so many of us, especially in this culture, we're trying to find our value in our outer appearances. Be healthy. Don't find your value and identity in those things. So every time you step in front of the mirror and you're embarrassed about what you see, you're experiencing the shame that's associated with sin and death. Some of you don't feel like you'll ever measure up. Um, Somebody probably said that to you at some point in life. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never measure up. And you're still living under that lie. And life to you feels like walking in the shadows. If they know who I really am, right, I won't measure up. I won't be worth anything. Some feel like nobody wants them. And all of these things, plus a whole lot more, are included in the resurrection, right? The resurrection, when we walk in the power of the resurrection, we look in front of the mirror and say, I'm I'm who God created me to be, right? Like, yeah, he could have done a better job, but, right? No, he couldn't have. You are created physically exactly as God wanted you to be. You don't have to dress it up for God to love you. Ladies, I know that that's how the culture treats you. You got to dress it up and show it off if you want his attention. God says you no you don't. Come out of the shadows. Quit letting the world lie to you. You're my daughter. Like I love you like you are. I want to fix it up. Don't fix your hair, just come to me. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, It seems like Peter's figured it out now. Remember he was the first one in the tomb? He believed, but he didn't understand. Look at what he says in 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Decades later when he writes this, it seems like he's beginning to understand. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a huge statement. Read it with an exclamation point blessed be the god and the father of our lord jesus christ according to his great mercy not just mercy great mercy now he's going to get it he's taking us to the resurrection but when he sees the when he thinks of the mercy of god over our lives he can't just say mercy he has to say what great mercy huge mercy victorious mercy a mercy that not only says to you i love you but it undoes everything that's ever happened in your life, to say otherwise. Every harsh statement, every moment of abuse, every a bit of it, it's great mercy that we have in God. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. What's he talking about? He's talking about the, Im- the perishable putting on the imperishable. That though we're still walking in these mortal bodies, we, by faith we walk in Immortality. When we walk into suffering, we we do so believing. This does not have the final word over me. In the same way that Jesus had the final word over death, he will have the final word over my life. And though in this moment he slay me, by faith I keep walking. Why? Because I believe in the resurrection. He caused us to be born again to a living hope. Such an important word, living hope. Too many times we trust and put our hope on small things. Hope in a new job, hope in a new relationship, hope in a new attitude, hope in a whatever it is. That's not a living hope. That's a dead hope. Those hopes can be killed and snuffed out in a moment. But Peter's not talking about those kind of hopes. Look at what he's talking about when he says living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I think it's Peter's way of saying, now I understand. At the tomb, I believed... At the tomb, I knew this is a really important moment. I just don't know how important yet. But now that I've had some time to walk this thing out and to live it out, now I'm beginning to understand. Through the resurrection of Jesus, we have a living hope and a great mercy from God that impacts every moment of our lives. When I'm lonely, I don't need a friend. I need the power of the resurrection. When I'm depressed, I don't just need somebody to make me happy. I need to understand the fullness of the power of the resurrection. In the midst of suffering, I don't just need relief. I need to know the power of the resurrection. When I find myself hiding in shame, right? I don't just need therapy. I need to know the power of the resurrection. When I'm feeling ugly, when I'm feeling like a failure, I don't need to fix it up and try harder. I need to know and walk by faith in the power of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is God's glorious victory over death, fulfilling our deepest need by defeating our greatest enemy and setting us free from the binding curse of sin. We desperately need the resurrection of Jesus more than we need anything else on earth. I need you to hear me say that. We desperately need the resurrection of Jesus more than we need anything else on earth. That's the only place we'll have true peace, living hope, and great mercy. I wanna pray for us today and invite our worship team to come back up. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you have not by faith trusted in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for your peace, your hope, your eternal life, The restoration of all things I'm gonna I'm gonna invite you to do something courageous today okay it's it's risky coming out of the shadows right it's risky coming out and being known why because there's a chance you may not like me God is saying to you today he's inviting you to come out of the hiding and to come to him to just bring yourself out in the light and say God this is who I am so that you might know the fullness of God's love for you as he embraces you, pulls you in, and says to you, you are my son, you are my daughter. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm going to invite you, when we stand to sing in a moment, um, to go talk to one of our prayer partners, okay? Won't be any high-pressure sales tactics, you won't have to sign any commitments, you won't have to do anything, right? I'm just going to encourage you to go to them and at least let them pray over you, if you'd like to find out more about what it means to be a Christian, they'll be ready to talk with you about that. They'll be in the back with, our, with lanyards on, um, black lanyards. It says prayer partner. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, you do not know the living hope we have and the great mercy we have through the resurrection, I'm going to encourage you to at least go allow one of our prayer partners to pray over you today. For, for those of us who know Christ, right? I'm going to think back to Peter and John at the tomb. For those of us who believe in the resurrection, yet are not fully understanding it. How do we know the difference? Understanding it means we walk in the power of it, right? Are you planning on waking up tomorrow in the midst of shame or walking in the freedom that comes from the power of the resurrection? Are you gonna wake up tomorrow placing your hope on what people think about you and and how well your career goes and, and how many friends that you can fool into thinking that you're something you're not? Or are you going to walk in the power of the resurrection that says, I am loved regardless of how you treat me? See, there's a difference between believing and fully understanding. My prayer for you, for us today as Christians, is that we would come to a deeper understanding of the power of the resurrection. And we would see it not just as a moment in time, but an event in time that affected all other moments in time. And that it would affect you even today as we stand to sing. I'm going to pray for us now, and uh, and then I'll invite you to stand and we'll sing. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we bow our heads right now, it seems so fitting to call you Lord. You truly are the Lord. Not just the Lord over feeding hungry people, the Lord over healing sicknesses, the Lord over walking on water, the Lord over the storms, the Lord over... But you're the Lord over the universe, you're the Lord over death. And we thank you that in the resurrection we see such a glorious power displayed that gives us hope in the midst of our despair. And so Lord Jesus, we pray for every person, every person in this room that today we could come to that understanding of the full power of the resurrection. What it means for us in this moment, what it will mean for us tomorrow morning that we might be a people who by faith walk in the power of the resurrection, set free, redeemed, restored, cleansed, made right. So Lord Jesus, now as we stand to sing, we yield our hearts to you and ask that you would come and work as only you can work. We pray this in your powerful name.